You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2212 South Broad Street. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m. So yeah, we're talking about potholes. Anybody in here got a favorite pothole in the city of Philadelphia? Like you got any love for potholes? Like the, that one that's just so big that it's just like so ridiculous how much ice it can collect and how big it can get without the city doing anything about it. Yeah, that's really amazing. It's really amazing. I, I remember I had a pothole on 46th Street that I loved dearly for several years. It's still just asphalt patching, you know, still a decade later. They just keep patching it. Um, they are never going to repay 46th Street. That would be a total mess if they did, you know. Have you ever been on a, you ever lived on a street that got repaved? Totally annoying, right? You know, it has to be done. But yeah, I love I love my potholes. They could be a good place for revelation too. You know, because those those you know those real ones, but you know the metaphorical ones. We're talking about the spiritual journey. You know, you might have hit some potholes this week, and not even on the spiritual journey yet. Let's just be in your life. Oh, did you hit any potholes this week? Like, no, I did not taco my front wheel on my bike this, this week in, in a pothole. But you may have, like, had a problem. That's what we're talking about with potholes. We're going along on this cool spiritual journey that we have around the room. And uh, there, are, there are roads there that have potholes. They have problems. Uh, one of my problems this week, my phone. It's a Samsung kind of cheap, cheap bottom line phone. The, the ear jack doesn't work right. And I really like listening to the podcasts and talking on my phone. And as Ben said, I moved to Jersey and I have a red car. So they will pull you over for talking on your phone like this, like, which is illegal everywhere. But they actually like enforce the law in New Jersey, which is really inconvenient. So I need my hands free device to work, but it has to be just so or it won't engage. And yes, I've tried to clean it. All of you tech people don't tell me how to fix it. It's broken and my life is ruined. And, oh, and, and T-Mobile won't even let me get a new one. I mean, they would, but first I have to pay off that I still owe on this crappy phone because that's what I was going for is the lower monthly payment instead of just having a decent phone. And I really wish that I would have paid the extra $12 a month and had a better phone with the phone jack working. That's my pothole, all right? It's a problem. Just getting in touch with the problem is a good thing to do. I hope you, I, I'm trying to warm you up to a problem that you might have had this week and, and how you, you were... Just, just engaging it, like even remembering, yeah, that did suck. That did happen. There, there was something that was totally irritating. And yes, the world is set up to like make my life inconvenient and make me feel completely powerless. Yes, most things make you do that. T-Mobile, your job, whatever it is. I'm sorry. This is the world we live in. But the sad state of my phone had me thinking about my 25th birthday when I got my first smartphone. Do you all remember your first smartphone? You remember my smartphone. Yeah, I used to carry a little book around. I was a very organized early 20-something, and I would keep all of my appointments, and I had everybody's number written down, and they came out with this new thing that could you know, link my Google Calendar to my pocket. And I was very excited about that. Mostly, I wanted a Google Calendar. If they made a device that was just a digital Google Calendar, you know, I'd still buy that. That's all I really, really want and need. Um, so I got an iPhone from my family 
and I hadn't asked for one because they were like exp- they're they're always expensive, but you know they were new then, and um, and I I didn't really think I should want one, but I did, and my family knew that, and they they pitched in together and they got me an iPhone. It was so great. It was so, I was shocked. I think someone captured the moment on camera. Like what? You got this for me? But wait, they also got me. A fitted Phillies baseball cap, old school 70s maroon style, in the right size to fit my giant head. But wait, they also got me a copy of One Man's Wilderness by Dick Prenicky, which at the time I thought you could only get by becoming a WHYY member. Have you seen this? If you haven't seen the guy building the cabin in Alaska, you need to leave this meeting right now and go watch it. No, don't. Um, and actually, actually, there's all kinds of spiritual pot, potholes in that film. I, I reflected on it recently. It's kind of a mess. The guy was 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 damaged. Um, so, but I love it. I love. I loved. I loved. Loved my family on my 25th birthday because they gave me everything I wanted, and I didn't even know that I wanted those things so badly. Receiving them made me feel so so loved and seen. It was the best. You know that feeling, right? It doesn't have to be just for your birthday, but getting what you want without having to ask for it, there might not be anything better, right? The problem is that you it's so good that you could become addicted to it, and you could start shaping your life and your relationships about getting what you want without having to ask for it. Married people in the room know what I'm talking about, right? Um, you want your spouse to anticipate every bit of need because they do know you so well, and they could. Like, it's conceivable that they could give you what you wanted. Like, if they put their back into it well enough, they could give me everything I wanted, and I wouldn't even have to ask. The allure of that good feeling of being known and seen is very powerful. But it easily results in a complete lack of responsibility for one's own needs. You might end up putting every action on a scale and deciding how adequately you have been satisfied. Everything that happens to you then goes on a scale, and there's only two options. Satisfaction, dissatisfaction. You You know what I'm saying? You're there sometimes, right? It's deadly. It is deadly. It's going to kill you living that way, especially on purpose. Don't do it, please. Of course you're going to do it, but don't do it on purpose. Especially if you're in a real pothole, like a real mess, and you actually need like a lot of help. If, if you can't ask for a way out of your stuckness, then you're going to be even more stuck. And And I think it's, it's really easy to be in that mode of, oh, I need to be loved. Someone fix this. Help me. You know, that, 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 that the intensity, that anxiety, that, that, that clinging, cloying desperation just puts you right there. Someone save my life. When you hit a pothole, it's really hard to ask for help if you've trained yourself to wait and see if anyone will love you as well as they ought to. We've got a couple of parents here. Um, I'm a parent. I have a seven, an eight-year-old now and a five-year-old. 
And that means they're they're young enough to not be to- I'm not, that I don't totally disappoint them at every gift giving opportunity because I didn't buy them a three hundred dollar thing. Um, but I, I remember when I was a kid, it was like one Sega Genesis game that would kind of break your whole birthday bank. You know, you had to really want it because it's like you're gonna get, okay, you can have the one Sega Genesis game, but that's it. All right. Um, my my kids are I feel like I said are eight and five and and they want like every Pokemon thing possible, but they're not into the super high ticket items yet, so it's not too hard to give them at least a little bit of what they want. They're still grateful more than greedy, but I'm getting worried. When my first son was two and his brother wasn't born, it was a lot easier. We just went to the thrift store out in Souderton, the Karen Share, the mother of all MCC thrift stores. It's like a thrift store mall, y'all. You should go there. They've got multiple thrift stores all in one place. It's worth the trip if you ask me. But actually, I misspoke. It's not the mother of all MCC thrift stores. And this is totally an aside, okay? Not a whole lot to do with what I want to say. But Lois Kreider died on January 31st at the age of of 94. And she um, did not plant the first MCC thrift store. She planted the second. The first one was in Altona, Manitoba, Canada in 1972. But she planted the second in Bluffton, Ohio in 1974. And this idea of selling used and donated items to benefit Mennonite Central Committee. Mennonite Central Committee is our international relief development and peace organization that we're a part of. Every bit of money that you put in the Circle of Hope box over there or share online gets percentaged out and we share with Mennonite Central Committee and our thrift stores, Circle Thrift, two of them, one here on Broad Street, one on Frankfurt Ave, give over $100,000 to MCC every year. And the whole MCC thrift store network, which Lois Kreider was instrumental in forming and spinning out, including actually 10,000 villages. Have you been there yet? 12th and Walnut, we, we made that too. And she helped make that. Um, but just the thrift store network alone every year shares more than $16 million with MCC, run mostly by volunteers like Lois. She, she never got paid for what she did. God bless her. Aside over. I'm at the, the Karen Share, uh, the thrift store mall, the grandbaby of Lois Crater's et cetera shop uh, in Bluffton, Ohio, and I'm getting birthday presents and Christmas presents for my two-year-old, because his birthday and his Jesus' birthday are both in December. We spent like 20 bucks total. Awesome. And I will never forget the way my heart melted when he opened up his little plastic bulldozer. And without being prompted, and ever so sincerely, as only a two-year-old can, squeaked out, thank you. So sweet. Melted my heart. And since it says in Ephesians that God is the father of fatherhood, I think that that heart melting that was happening in me was coming right out of the father of us all. And I was participating in God's heart melting. I was participating in something bigger than just an alternative economic system. Because God delights in you. God delights in us even more then I delight in Oliver. And I don't know how that's possible, but he does, and I believe it. God heart's, God's heart melts too.
But God knows that we don't stay two forever. We grow up, and we want other stuff like Sega Genesis games, iPhones, Phillies caps, meaningful partnerships, purpose, safety, lasting joy, freedom from fear, healing from depression, money to make ends meet, right? But I think that our culture trains us to try to get that stuff by ourselves and try to avoid all the potholes by ourselves. Get what you want, succeed, don't mess up, never get into any trouble, blah, blah, blah. We organize a lot around getting material stuff and we organize around getting the meaning, more meaningful stuff. And sometimes, it, almost all the time, it's like a mashup of the two. It's actually pretty difficult to make distinctions between our desires. We just have this kind of amorphous W-A-N-T want right in the middle of us. And sorting that out takes a lot of practice. And I think that if you're going to practice it, the best way to do it is to pray. And you're going to become kind of like a want taxonomist, one who desires and knows what kind of desire is happening on the inside. If you pay attention to that thing that drives you around all the time, the want, if you pay attention to that, you will see that they are, there are distinctions in there. And some desires are better than others. And some desires line up with God's desires more. And I think, though, that if you start at the top and you're drilling down through the Sega Genesis game and the iPhone and deeper down through the freedom from depression and what are you going for down there at the bottom? You know, that's what, that's what you get good at. If you're praying through your desires and actually paying attention to what you really, 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 really want, you're going to get to a place where God is going to be have a lot of latitude to work with you, to collaborate with you in your desire. Because I didn't want a Phillies cap. I didn't want One Man's Wilderness. I didn't even read it till last year, honestly. Like It took me 10 years to read that book. I was so happy to receive it, though. That's how a lot of gifts are. I didn't, I didn't want the iPhone, though it has changed history. Um, I wanted to be loved and to be seen by my family. That was the real desire. That was the deepest desire of that moment. And God can do a heck of a lot with that desire. There's all kinds of ways that God can do that. You know, maybe, I'm just thinking of this now, but maybe like the desire is like a pyramid. And at the top, where the iPhone is, that thing you want, you know, it, it, at the bottom, it's like something else that's just so much easier. It's such, such a bigger target for God to hit, you know? But potholes on the spiritual journey, um, they're not so immediate as these things that we get. It's kind of a bigger realm of existence, and it's, it's real easy to be confused. So if you're, if you're confused, great. That's where we all are. Um, but when you're in trouble, even on the spiritual journey, um, sometimes it becomes, it, it's a very fruitful place for sorting out those desires. Because it's, it's like, oh, I, 
I don't want to be in this trouble anymore. You know, like it's very, very immediate. I want this pain to stop. You know, like that's a pretty clear desire. And there might be something deeper down under it. But I mean, no, God, you got to do something about that first. I'm stuck. I need your help. But if you're well conditioned in waiting to know what you want only when you are given it by someone who has studied you very carefully and knew your desire, then you might just be stuck in that pothole forever. You'll never get out. You could be stuck on the side of the road, so to speak, forever, just waiting to see if anyone's going to pay attention to you. Luckily, there are people in the world, like all of you, that are going to go to the person on the side of the road, you know, and figure out and investigate. Wait, what's going on? Why are you on the side of the road? Like, we're not going to keep whizzing by you, not us. But most people probably will. Most people don't have that much time to stop for someone who probably can figure it out. Who doesn't know how to fix a tire? Come on! Figure it out, man. You got your thing. You can do it. You could be waiting for, like, all of your problems to be solved by some, you know, guardian angel. And there are a lot of guardian angels in the world, and you might have made it this far just fine being saved by guardian angels. But I think that there's more to it than that. That's not how life is supposed to work. Because God is not necessarily like the perfect spouse who knows exactly what you need before you even ask and always will give it to you. You know, God's not the, the, the parent of, of eight billion two-year-olds who just delights in hearing us squeak out eight billion thank yous. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Yes, God loves our praise. And, and God really does know us and can help us in a lot of different situations. But we're growing up into something bigger, into knowing more about what we want and what we're going to do. And that project is much more collaborative than I think we often think. Like we were just singing that song. Um, it's only in your will that I am free. What does that mean? It could mean I just got to figure out what God wants and do it, and then I'll, then I'll be so happy and free. I think that's the common script. And that, I think that's part of it. That's where you're collaborating with God. You know God has desires. God wants to do something in the world. God has a will. You've read the Bible, and you want to do something with it. Yes. God is talking to us in many ways, not just the Bible, but, but God is expressing God's will in many ways. But you have a will too. My, my desires, I surrender these into your hands. We're going to do something with my desires, God. We're going to do something together. I don't just have to turn them all off. If I do, I'll be dead. I want to uplift that side of the equation, the part where you matter and your desires matter, and you're going to have to do something with what you've been given and not just wait for God to bounce you into a pleasant place as if the universe were some pinball machine. To get more than just barely living hope, to get abundant, flourishing hope, we must pray. We must stop pretending that we're a pinball machine or a two-year-old and, and speak our desires to God. And potholes are really great places to do that. Really great places to say, hey, wait, what was it? What was our thing? Oh, what was it? Oh, Lord, see us. Oh, Lord, hear us. 
No, no, it was, it was hear us now, O Lord. See us now, O Lord. Hear us now, O Lord. Let's do it. See us now, O Lord. Hear us now, O Lord. Yep. That's it. That is it. When you're stuck in a pothole, you can start by imagining how you might find your way out of this position. How you can start by getting a vision for how you're going to get unstuck. This one time Paul was stuck in prison. Paul, the apostle, you know, wrote most of the New Testament or something. Um, or it's about him. And that's what I'm talking about at the end of the book of Acts. It's another time that Paul's in prison and he's gone to Jerusalem because he got this collection of money for the poor people in Jerusalem, the poor Christians in Jerusalem, from people in Greece, essentially. And he wants to take it to them. But then he wants to go to Rome and beyond to Spain. He has this ambition to go to Spain. And here's, here's what I think. I think that's all Paul. Paul just wants to, Paul didn't get a vision from God about going to Spain. He makes it clear in, in uh, Romans 15, 20. He says, where did I write that down? It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. He owns that. Paul's pretty clear in all of his writing. When he's speaking for God, he says, now this is from God. And then when it's not, it's, it's kind of clear. So it's not like he got, he might have gotten some revelation. But there are other times in the Bible where it says, no, like the Holy Spirit told me to go somewhere. Like there was a dream where a man from Macedonia was telling me to go to there. And I went. But this, he just, I just want to go to Spain. Because this is what he says. He says, I've been all over here. Here, this, this picture might help. Um, this is where he's hanging out when he's writing the letter to the Romans. We think that he wrote the letter to the Romans in Corinth. And then he goes back this way, back up through the places where he had been planting churches for about 10 years. And then he hightails it down the coast. He doesn't even go to his best friends in Ephesus. He makes them come down to Miletus and meet him so that they can have just a little goodbye session on the beach because he's going down to Jerusalem to give this collection to the poor in Jerusalem. And then he's going to go back to Rome and beyond to Spain, like way over there, you know, at the end of the world. Do you see Spain over on the wall over there? <laughs> That's like, Spain is like, is like, you know, way over here by Kevin, you know. It's way far away. It's basically nowhere in that, in that time and place. No, it, not really, because they did even have trade routes up to Britain. You know, some, some, this is total, another total aside. The British actually have an old um, song that they sing about the baby Jesus going to Britain with Nicodemus or, or, some, or no Joseph of Arimathea because there was an existing trade route that went all the way from Jerusalem up to England during the time of Christ. That's crazy. Okay. Um, but so we're working with Paul's desire here, and I want to look at Romans 15, 23 through 29, where he's just kind of stating his desire. This is what I want to do. I plan to do, 
I, I plan to visit you when I, when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem. Remember, he's in Corinth, heading back to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there for Macedonia and Achaia. We're pleased to make a contribution for, for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I think this is what Paul wants to do. He has an idea. Wouldn't it be great if I went to Spain? I would love to just do something with people that have never heard anything about Jesus. And I want to get into that far off, interesting, beautiful land. God gave me something to do, and I'm going to do it in Spain. But he heads back to Jerusalem first because he's got, first things first, got to get this money to the people that I collected it for. So he goes back to Jerusalem, and the end of the book of Acts is all about what happens after he goes to Jerusalem. From Acts 21 through Acts 28. Now, that you can do your math real quick. That's a quarter of the book is about what happened with Paul essentially being in Roman custody because he was in jail this whole time or being transferred. And we don't have time to go through it in great detail, but it is in great detail as far as the Bible goes. You know, it's like, and then this happened, and then this is what he said to the governor, and then this is what the governor said back. It's really, really interesting. But Paul goes to Jerusalem. I'll give you the short version. Paul goes to Jerusalem, and he is, he stirs up trouble with the Jews just for being himself, and they want to kill him. And actually, the Romans take custody of him and save his life. The, the Romans are the ones that save Paul and say, wait a sec, you can't kill this guy. And then they want to say, just kind of figure out what's going on. And so they're going to beat him because that's, you know, the best thing to do to a prisoner. And uh, wait, and he, Paul says, wait, I'm a, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't beat me. I'm not just a human. I'm a Roman citizen. And so they, oh, well, crap, we got to take you to the governor and stuff. So they take him to Caesarea, which is just up on the coast. Here, I got my pointer still. This is Jerusalem here, but, and they take him up to Caesarea, which is the Roman provincial capital, and they take him in front of Felix, and Felix basically doesn't think he did anything wrong, but the Jews are mad at him, so he's kind of doing this dance. I'll keep him in prison. Keeps him in prison for two years. Two years, and that's just, that's just like one sentence in Acts, yeah. And then he stayed in prison for two years. Dang, that's a big pothole. But then Felix ends his provincial governorship, hopefully gets a better gig, and Festus comes in. And Festus is like, yo, why is this guy in my prison? Felix, why'd you leave him in here? Oh, Felix, you're not here anymore. I guess I got to deal with this guy. Oh, we need this trial with Jews. Let's call them up from Jerusalem. They bring everyone together. Paul makes his case and says, I didn't do anything wrong. I appeal to Caesar, which, which is his right as a Roman citizen, which means now they got to ship him all the way back across to Rome. This is what I think happened. Because I think this is a brilliant move on Paul's part. He's been rotting in prison, doesn't know what's going to happen, and I think he's had about two years of prayer to figure out what, what we're going to do. He still has this desire. I still want to get to Rome. I still want to do what I said I was going to do, and I'm going to get to Spain. Okay, I'm in prison for a couple years. This has happened before. In that pothole, He's collaborating with God, trying to figure out, what am I going to do? 
it's a big problem. So he probably starts with, God, what are you going to do about this? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I mean, he's, Paul had had so many amazing experiences being in prison that he might have been less freaked out than some of us would have been. But I'm sure he started with, God, what are you going to do about this? And that's a great prayer. I recommend it to you. Myself came up with it. It's one of our favorite prayers. God, what are you going to do about that? The big stuff that's just like too big, you know? What, what are you going to do about that? But then Paul also says to himself, and again, I'm just imagining this. Well, what am I going to do about it? I'm going to have an opportunity. What am I going to do? So when he gets the opportunity in, in front of the new governor, Festus, he immediately appeals for uh, uh, an audience in, in, in Caesar's court because the Jews want him to come back to Jerusalem where he will surely be convicted in a kangaroo court and murdered. So he's, he's kind of in a catch-22, and he has this brilliant solution to how to get out of it. Um, this might be a new idea for you. It might just be a reminder, and Paul is kind of like our hero in this collaboration. But prayer is a collaboration. might be a new idea to you. And so I want to put it up here on the slide, just so we can kind of meditate on it a little bit. Paul is doing this, all of these things. He's asking for what he wants. He states his ambition in Romans 15, 20. I want to go and build on nobody else's foundation. That's what he wants. That's just who he is. That's the kind of guy he is. That comes from his heart. That's his desire. And he asks God for it. I want to get to Spain. And that asking makes it real. Distinct from all the other W-A-N-T big ball of want inside of you. You know, Paul was telling people what he wanted to do. He was making it more real with every letter he wrote. Yo, I'm coming. It's going to happen. I got to go back to Jerusalem. And basically, I don't know what's going to happen there, but I, it'll work out. And then I'm coming back because I want to go. I want to go to Spain. It makes it more real to makes it more distinct. Oh, this is a thing. This is an idea. This is happening. And the asking has a direction. God, this is what I want to do. Can we do it? You know, can you, can you pray like that? This is what I want to do. Can we do it? It's a little bit different, I think, than often we think about our prayers. But it's important that the asking has a direction because this is not just a dream board. It's not the secret. It's not just positive thinking. Without the, po the power of God, our possibilities are severely limited and our creativity might be too small. God can do a lot more than our imaginations are often trained for. We think pretty circumscribed. But regardless of how big or how little our desires are, it comes from us, and that's okay. It's, it's you that wants it. You can say what you want, and you can even get it sometimes in surprising ways. Again, it works best if we drill down to the heart of the desire. You know? I, you know, again, I didn't want the iPhone. I didn't want the cap. I wanted to be known and to be seen. If that's my prayer... I want to be known and seen, and I want to feel it. God can do that. 
God might not be able to get me exactly what I want every time. And if I want exactly what I want, I'm going to have to tell my spouse about it or my family. I'm going to have to have a wish list. That's okay. I don't have to just just have this amazing experience of being known and loved every time. I might have to participate in being known and loved. And I think that's okay. But we must take responsibility for our desires. Or we'll likely be stuck in the pothole for a long time and lonely when we find ourselves stuck there still. So let me pray. And then we can do some talk back. Hear our desires, Lord. Here they are. Here's our heart. Here it is. Right here, this is where we are in this room with these people. And here's where we want to go. Help us. Help us in creating, dreaming, and imagining the best from what we have. Open our eyes to the possible, especially that which is possible only with you. We love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.